Alrighty, welcome back. Another episode of the Mind Matters Athlete Coaching Podcast. We're here mid-ride with our next guest. We're parked up for a coffee, taking a brew, talking about life. And uh, this guy's got some interesting stories to tell, particularly if you're grown up here in the USA, particularly if you're from here where we are, Sutton's Bay, Michigan, which is right in the near near the top of America. We're only about two hours from the border of Canada. He now rides for a world tour team, AG2R, Citroën, La Mondiale. His name is Mr. Larry Warbass. Thanks for joining us. How's the ride today, Larry? Yeah, good ride so far. Uh, <clears throat> did a few efforts uh, in the morning and then, yeah, now came uh, here to meet you. A uh, nice spin up here for a coffee and, yeah, so far so good. So good to be here. Now we're here uh, soaking up the sun, working on the tan lines, taking a coffee, enjoying life by the water. But, Larry, you grew up in this town, well, not far from here, Traverse City. For most of the year, I've been here this year, so I know what it's like, it is a godforsaken hellhole. I mean, it is ice on the ground everywhere. It's freezing cold, snow everywhere. How does someone who lives in this part of the world get into the sport of cycling, an outside sport? Well, eventually you move away, so... uh... (laughs) No, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess actually the funny thing is I, I got into cycling through skiing. Uh, so I used to ski race when I was younger. And uh, through the local ski club here in Traverse City, we did these mountain bike camps every summer. And that was kind of how I got started on the bike. Um, so I always rode with my dad when I was a kid. I, I enjoyed that. Um, but then, yeah, it was really through that is where I got a bit more serious. And then obviously uh, everyone who's from here knows like about the Iceman, uh, which is one of the biggest mountain bike races in the U.S. in terms of participation. Um, so, you know, I think 5,000 some people do it every year. And, uh, yeah, it's a really big race. So <clears throat> the fall that I started mountain biking a bit, I did uh, the kids' version of the Iceman called the Slush Cup. And, uh, yeah, really enjoyed that. So I had some friends who I ski raced with who mountain bike raced a lot. And the year after, they took me sort of all around the state with them. And yeah, quickly after that, I kind of got into road cycling a bit as well. And then I guess I just sort of progressed through the ranks from there. So yeah. Wow, awesome. I mean, like mountain biking, slush cup that everyone locals here know, the Iceman, which is brutal racing itself, a short but hard. And uh, now you're entering or you're in your 10th year as a world tour professional. I mean, this is signifies that cycling's a was really captured your imagination captured your passion when you were younger what was it about the sport that has kept you in it so long and well sparked that passion early on yeah i think like one of the things um especially that sort of got me to switch from road riding to i mean sorry mountain biking to road biking was uh, i just really like sort of like the social aspect of it you know i guess i'm a pretty social person and i really enjoyed that you know you could sort of you could ride with your friends and at the same time you're kind of just hanging out with them you know it's like you can have good chat like you can stop for a coffee like we're doing uh you can get lunch whatever you know like i just kind of liked how there was like this social aspect around the sport and that like you know yeah there was a time to be switched on and like focused and going hard but then there's also a time just to like sort of i don't know you're i guess you could say chill on the bike you know like uh, even in races like we can have like conversations from time to time although that's less and less uh, the case now but but yeah, so I think I really was sort of drawn to sort of the social aspect of the sport. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I think I'm someone who I'm pretty obsessive about things when I get into it. And 
I think when I was, yeah, about 13, 14 years old, that was a good time where if you really commit to something, you see a lot of progress. And so, yeah, I, I progressed pretty quickly. And I think that to me was kind of addictive. So, yeah, I just kept trying to do it uh, and take it as far as I could. Well, I think anyone that's ridden with you now or has been, been teammates with you or knows you could definitely attest that, you know, you're one of the most uh, down-to-earth and conversational-type guys in the peloton and very easy to talk to and, you know, friendly fella which is uh, obviously, by, by what you're saying, is one of the big things that drew you to the sport. But one of the things about living up here and growing up up here, there are not a ton of races on. I mean, there's the ice band, like you mentioned, but I feel like to get to where you've got to with the sport, you've had to take a somewhat you know, more complicated path than someone who might live in, you know, say, L.A. or Boulder, Colorado or something. Can you tell us a bit about, like, how you managed to get your name out there in the cycling world when you're from, you know, a somewhat rural part, remote part of the country? Yeah, I got pretty lucky um, up here when I sort of really started to get more serious about it. Um, there was a guy in Traverse City named Jeff Cook, and um, he really sort of took me under his wing. He at the time, he was probably, I would say, probably the best guy in the state, sort of, uh, at, like, a elite amateur level. Um, and so, yeah, I just was really fortunate that he saw something in me and uh, sort of, yeah, took me under his wing. And I was sort of his protege for a while um, here, like... Uh, you know, he would just take me out on these, he used to do these rides that we would call death marches because they'd be like six, seven hours. And, uh, you know, guys would come up from downstate to ride up here and ride with him. And then he would just go out and smash everyone. And so in in, in the summer, in the summer. Uh, so yeah, starting when I was probably like 14, 15 years old, I do these death marches. So I do these six, seven hour rides and I would, I didn't know that you were supposed to like eat on the bike back then. So I would like you know bring I don't know maybe two power bars for like seven hours and I would bonk so hard and uh yeah anyway so uh that was pretty funny but he he really helped me out you know um we were on the same sort of team and I I think he sort of helped bring me onto the team at the time it was like Priority Health uh, had like a junior team and also a master's team so he was on the master's team and I was on the junior team and uh, we went to a lot of races together and even like um I remember like Every Wednesday, we would drive down to Grand Rapids. At, like, I'd get out of school, I'd go to his work, I'd meet him there, and we'd drive like two and a half hours to Grand Rapids to do the Wednesday night, like Grattan series. So uh, it was like a local race series, like a practice race, training race, or whatever every Wednesday so we do that and you know I'd like do my homework in the car on the way then and then we drive back we get home at like super late at night and anyway I was driving, yeah I don't know an hour maybe you know yeah. but uh yeah, but yeah commitment. yeah I was commitment so and then you know I mean he really he did so much with me you know he he had uh he owns an auto shop so he like refurbished some old scooter and then we would motor pace each other. So, like, we, we'd, like, do an hour and then, like, switch. Like, one person would motor pace. The other person would, you know, be on the bike. And then we'd switch. The other person would go on the scooter. And then, so, yeah. Um, you know, he really helped me. And then, yeah, also in the winter, um, he had me get a cyclocross bike. And uh, I got those, like, um, like cycling boots, you know. They were, like, they were from Lake. And then, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, we got these, like, electric ski boot heaters that we'd put in. And, um so yeah and then you know he had heated gloves but those were too expensive for me so I didn't get those at the time and you know I'd wear like 10 layers because I didn't have you know the money to buy the really nice like ASOS jackets or something like that and uh, yeah and so, so we it's like I mean for us in the normal 
Celsius. It's, it's like below freezing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like sit way below freezing. You know, like okay. this is like minus 20 and we do like four hours. Wow. And like, yeah, it was horrible. I mean, uh, no, we didn't get studs on the tires. But, uh, you know, like I guess we'd ride like cyclocross tires or whatever, you know. Uh, this was before gravel bikes. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, oh my gosh, it was so. I mean, I would never do that now, but yeah, that's what we used to do back in the day. So it's pretty funny. Anyway, we did a bit of mix of stuff, and then that just really helped me, I guess, growing up. Uh, yeah, uh, all the support from the guys around here. But well, that's uh, kind of marries up to what you were first saying with your passion about the sport. I mean, that network obviously helped you, like, and getting to know people is is kind of what opened up the doors for you. So from there, you joined this priority health team, and then you were doing some big junior races, the Tour of Lapidity, which is a big one in Canada. You start getting results there, then you got a spot on the U.S. national junior team, yeah? What kind of races were you doing from that point? You going to Europe, or you stay here in America, or...? Yeah, so when I was 17, I did, like, some of my first big races. I went to, yeah, I went to the Junior Nationals, and I think I was top 10 in the time trial, and then Levita B, I think I was top 10 there also, and so that kind of got me recognized by the Junior National team, and I got invited to go over to race some junior races uh, in Europe. So I think I did three weeks over there. We did, like, some kermesses in Belgium. We did a race called the GP Rublewand in Switzerland, which I think still exists, actually. Um, and then I don't remember what else. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think uh, I really enjoyed that, and it went pretty well. I wasn't, like, amazing or anything, but it went well enough that I got invited to go back the following year. So then when I was 18, I went back over. I did the, the Peace Race for juniors, um in uh, in Czech Republic and then I did like this one called Ronde van Axel or something in the Netherlands which was a pretty famous one for the juniors also um, and yeah I mean I think yeah I had some good results uh, in those races that year and then yeah I think just around uh, Michigan and in nationals and stuff I had some good rides I had a good ride in the Bitterby that year and uh, yeah, so that kind of I guess set things up for like the years to come in the under twenty threes. Yeah, awesome. So how did you kind of manage these years? You're getting results on the bike. You're starting to see, hey, maybe this this bike riding gig could be a profession for me. I mean, you're racing some of the best in the world, but at the same time, you've also got admitted to one of the biggest and most prestigious universities in the country you're studying at the the u of m the the wolverine university so how did you kind of juggle that decision hey do i stay here at university or when that window opened to become professional like how did you make that decision about pursuing cycling as opposed to staying in school so yeah actually um I actually never thought I was going to be a pro cyclist. So when I was growing up, I just thought it was like a cool hobby and it was fun and I enjoyed doing it. Um, so, yeah, I just did it because, yeah, I, I don't know, it was something I, I liked to do, but I never thought about doing it as a profession. Um, you know, my parents are really into academics. And so I was always kind of raised, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, more as a realist in terms of like, you know, yeah, you can be really successful, but like you just have to work hard, go to school, you know, uh, get a good job, things like that. Um, so yeah, I kind of I wanted to go into business um, because I thought that kind of like I don't know used my um, my abilities. It was like a good mix of my abilities and stuff. And so yeah, I was planning on I was studying business at uh, Michigan, and um, yeah, so actually that's kind of what I thought I was going to do. 
And then it wasn't until I was like a first year under 23. I just finished my first year at uh, university. And I went over to race in Belgium with the national team. I went like three days after school, got out. And yeah, I don't know. I I realized when I was there, I was having such a good time. And I really enjoyed what I was doing so much that every day I couldn't wait to wake up in the morning, you know, because I was just so excited for the day to come. And, uh, yeah, I realized how much of a contrast that was from my year at school. I had a lot of fun at school. I really enjoyed it. You know, I made some of my best friends there. But, uh, I mean, yeah, it just wasn't the same kind of joy in the things I was doing there. Um, And so then I realized, well, why would I do something I don't like at all if I can do something I love? And from that moment on, I was like, okay, I want to be a pro cyclist. So that was like 19 years old. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. An awesome message, I think, to take home. And one I try to get across to people you know some of the most probably the one of the most motivating things you can experience in your life is you know a smile on your face when you're doing something you know it ends up you you it's much easier to devote yourself and put the work ethic in when you're enjoying what you're doing and obviously cycling filled that gap for you and we mentioned earlier about how you know you're a friendly guy and you love the social aspect of the sport but you know i've done this sport for a while too but not, not at your level obviously but when the flag drops in a race those kind of values as, as a person, being friendly, being nice, being courteous, they don't really lead to much success uh, in the bunch. How do you manage to kind of, I mean, I've seen you race and you're, you're unbelievable holding position, you know, can ride the front for so long, really put, you know, you can suffer like probably no one else I've seen it, it, with a number on. To be able to alternate between those personalities i suppose have an alter ego in the race and then you know be mr nice guy off the bike do you see it as like two different personas you put yourself into or is there is there room to be like a nice curious person in the peloton yeah i mean from time to time maybe i'm too nice of a guy in the peloton but i i think there's this moment where um you know there's certain times like there's certain guys in the peloton they'll just be a dick all the time you know and that's not necessary you know like there are moments where yes you need to be ruthless um and so i try to be like switched on and ruthless at the moment i need to be um and then i guess friendly when it's not you know when it's not as important so you know if it's a point in the race where you know it's not like super critical and like we're fighting for every single inch uh of the road then i'll like yeah i'll let my friends in you know whatever we'll like be more relaxed but like you know if there's a moment where you know you need this wheel you need to be first position into this turn whatever you know and you're working for your leader behind like then yeah you just have to be ruthless and like you you know and the thing is like your friends who are there like they'll understand you know everyone's trying to do the best job they can and so you don't really hold it against people and and yeah guys will yell or whatever you know and you yell at guys but like in the end you get off the bike and you realize okay it's just the race and you're just trying to do the best job you can so um i try to be as nice as i can uh whenever i can but then yeah there's always a moment to be like switched on and a bit ruthless and yeah i think i've gotten better at that over the last couple years i think being a nice guy off the bike i imagine well i've seen from experience like get you a bit more respect in the peloton yeah yeah, you know, like, I think uh, I have, like, a lot of friends in the Peloton, and in the end, like, uh, being a nice guy on and off the bike, like, I think it can only help you, like, you know, so if you, when you're friends with the guys in the Peloton, like, okay, if someone needs a wheel, 
like if it's not like life or death you'll give them the wheel you know and it's you know what goes around comes around so you know if I need to go in somewhere I would say like most guys will let me in you know obviously it's different like if you're really fighting for like this critical moment and like it's all elbows out ruthless but like for the most part uh you kind of help each other out and we know what goes around comes around so yeah it only helps you in the long run I think it helps to be a nice guy good message there now Larry I've seen you train and you've uh, I mean obviously you would ride away from me at any point and most people but you're a very methodical trainer you approach your training with a degree of intellect you've got we're looking at your bike here you got your power meter on there you've experimented with things like blood sugar levels lactate um, you know obviously heart rate what do you see as being like the biggest factor as far as effective training has been for you over the years I mean I think that's hard um, it's hard to point to something you know like I guess what's yeah um, you know I think training consistently uh, yeah I'm trying to think now like what would be you know my training methods or whatever I guess you know doing enough volume um, so getting enough hours in uh, while also getting you know a sizable amount of intensity and without killing yourself uh, I think like you know everything's it's really a fine balance in line um, so I think you want to get a big as big a load in as you can without killing yourself sort of you know um, and so I guess over the last few years what I've kind of come to realize is like if you're doing a long ride and stuff you don't need to go smash yourself the whole day and uh, it's really important to be controlled um, so you know I'll do some super long rides six six and a half hours um, but I just really try to keep like it under control I try to like you know set a limit where I don't go over in terms of like heart rate or power and um, yeah, so then if it takes a lot of, uh, I guess, um, what, what would I say? I don't know if courage is the word or like, you know, um, self-control because, you know, if you go with people and then they're going too hard, you have to just let them go. And uh, so it's something I've gotten a lot better at over the last few years. Um, but yeah, then when I train hard, I, I, I go pretty hard. So um, it's just making sure you don't cook overcook yourself and taking plenty of rest is really important as well so managing fatigue one of the biggest factors about being efficient with your training yeah yeah now you've been in the world tour a long time now and i've heard from a few sources that the racing these days you know in the past couple of years has just become so intense and i've heard about people doing their best power numbers who are classy bike riders used to be the front of races doing their best power numbers and finishing in gruppetto i mean the racing and from watching on television just looks intense and insane i mean how you obviously you're keeping up just fine but what do you think's been the biggest factor in changing the speed of the races or or the 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 kind of vibe in the races these days compared to when you started you know over 10 years ago i think the thing is is everyone is just getting more and more professional and serious um so you know when i started 10 years ago a lot of guys wouldn't use power meters you know i think guys were a bit more lackadaisical in their preparation and training and everything 
um, and maybe they'd only be sort of switched on for like certain moments of the year and they'd be more relaxed at other points. Whereas now, like there's just really no time where you can be, you know, not switched on. I mean, off season, obviously, like you need to relax at some point, but, um, you need to keep everything pretty focused and, uh, on for most of the year. So, um, you know, I think the thing is, is we've just improved so much in terms of training, um, in terms of recovery, in terms of nutrition, um, that I think that's just what's raised the level, uh, yeah, I mean, so much more than it was before. And then, yeah, now everyone's doing altitude all the time, not just like before a grand tour or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think it's just everyone's taking everything up a notch and that's just raising the level a ton. Yeah, wow. Well, you're obviously keeping up there, and seems to suit the approach of training that you mentioned before that that you take. You know, you're quite, you know, attention to detail. You know, you're you're making sure you do all the all the things right. You're a consummate professional. Now, you've just broken your pelvis recently. You're supposed to be at the Vuelta a España now. You're recovering. You're back on the bike. What's uh, what's next on the calendar? You've got a few more days racing this year. You've got another year contract with AG2R next year. What's um, what's next on the horizon for Larry Warbass? Yeah, I'm hoping, uh, you know, I'll do a scan shortly after I go back to Europe next week. And I'm just hoping that everything is going in the right direction, that maybe I'll be able to start back at, like, Tour of Luxembourg in the middle of September. And then, yeah, I'll probably finish the season with the Italian classics, the one days at the end of the year. So I just really hope that I can get back to a good enough level that I can do something in those races because it sucked just to get back and get my ass kicked. So uh, so we'll see what happens. But that's kind of like uh, the objectives for the rest of the year. Then since I had a, you know, a significant break just recently, I'll probably take a shorter off season and then just get back going. And, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully uh, can sort of turn the form that I had this year into some results next year uh, because unfortunately it just never exactly panned out as I was hoping this season. You've achieved some big things in the sport, Larry. You've been U.S. national champion. You've won stage at the Tour of Switzerland. You've been pro tour for many years. Is there anything else that really stands out as a goal of yours, like you really want to tick off the bucket list, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, definitely number one is to do uh, the Tour de France. So, you know, I was pretty close this year. Um, I think I have a good shot to go next year. So I'll be trying trying again uh, next year for that, I think. Uh, yeah, I hope I'll be able to realize that uh, goal um, this next season. And then, you know, I guess the other thing I'd really love to do is to do the Olympics. Um, so, I mean, that's still a couple years away two years away or something so we'll see what happens um but yeah definitely the tour de france uh is number one um so i'm really hoping uh yeah hoping i can do yeah make that a reality this next season and then yeah beyond that i just want to win a few more races and uh really get the most out of myself you know i just want to i guess maximize the potential that i have and uh yeah i think if i can get a few more wins uh in my career that'd be pretty nice Awesome. Well, sounds like there's some exciting stuff ahead for you. Now, uh, Larry, i just finished with one last question. We kind of ask everyone, you've been in the game a long time. You've got your fancy BMC bike here. What kind of stands out to you as far as we've spoken about your training, you know, your attitude towards the sport? As far as the bike tech's concerned, is there anything that stands out to you that's really made a difference over the past, uh, over your career? What's something that's really highlighted to you an increase in performance on the bike 
or maybe it's a kit or the helmet or yeah. something. Okay, I'll, I'll go a few things. I would say one thing that's actually really changed, uh, one piece of equipment that for me has made one of the biggest differences. I mean, this is like kind of funny, but like Velotos. Um, I mean, that literally, yeah, that changed riding in the rain for me. Um, so, you know, I remember we were sponsored by them on IM or something. And this was like maybe the first year they came out. I remember we did this race in Tour of Poland. It was six and a half hours. It was just the, one of the worst days I ever had on a bike. It rained from start to finish, you know, just downpour, horrible. And I remember I finished the stage. I took my Velotos off and my feet were dry. And I was like, damn, that's impressive, you know, six and a half hours. So in terms of, like, kit, for me, that's, like, one of the biggest things. Um, then I have to say, beyond that, Mm, okay, two two other things. Um, I'd say going bigger tires. So, like, you know, now, like, sometimes we go 28, stuff like that, 26, 28, whatever, 26 isn't that big. But anyway, when I started, we were around 23s, right? Yeah. So, bigger tires, way better. So, you know, I know, like, now, like, in AOS, a lot of teams are only around 28s. So, um, it's funny because when I was on Aqua Blue and we rode those 3T one-by bikes, whatever, a few years ago, that was the one thing about those bikes that I was like, okay, this is definitely going to take over the whole Peloton. Like, without a doubt, in a couple of years, we'll all be around 28s because that's like a big change. It's way more comfortable. You have better grip, faster rolling resistance, and as long as the wheel's designed for it, uh, you know, it'll be just as aerodynamic. So for me, like bigger tires, and they're way more comfy, they're faster. You know, that's that's been a huge progression. Um, and then... The third thing is like uh, like the GPS computers with the map. So, um, you know, in races, that's actually another reason I think that we go so fast is because now we have these maps. And so a lot of times we'll just go into these blind corners full gas because you just see it on the map and you know exactly like, you know, how tight it is and whatever. So um, I definitely noticed descending speeds got a ton faster when everyone got maps on their bikes. So that's definitely changed the game as well. Um, so I'd say those three things are, those are three of the technologies that I've seen really make a big difference uh, so far. Obviously aero bikes and all the aero stuff, but uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of just a few specific things, uh, those for sure. All right, Larry Warbass, thanks for taking the time to have a chat to us. You've got efforts to do. i got nappies to change. You're, uh, he's a gent of the peloton. If you see him out there in the races, cheer him on. American, writing for a French team, living in France. Uh, thanks for your time. Thank you, man. Good to be here. Cheers.